Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Last week, we looked at Psalm 98, and I was interviewing Scott Johnson, who's one of our worship directors at the church I, I pastor at, and we talked mainly about the musical elements in the Psalms, particularly Psalm 98. We looked at the command to sing and to sing with a new song, the idea of freshness in our worship and our music, and it talks about the instruments, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth sing praises to him with the lyre and with sound of melody, with trumpet, horn, all those kinds of things. And so we looked at just the musical elements of worship and the power of music in our worship. What I want to do today is I want to come back to Psalm 98 and I want to look at the theological elements. What always amazes me in these psalms is how they capture the bigger story that our life is in. And in some sense, it's a bit of a evidence for me as a believer, that the Bible has this glimpse of the bigger story, even beyond what these authors 3,000 years ago could have possibly conceived. It always amazes me that when the Bible talks about the worship of Yahweh being a worldwide, the ends of the earth, all the nations, all the peoples kind of thing, That was back when the only worshipers of Yahweh were a small tribal band in the middle of Palestine that was a very insignificant part of world events and world history. And especially that is true even when the teachings of Jesus, when he talks about the ends of the earth and you will make disciples of all the nations, when you think about it, that was just a few, maybe a couple hundred people. And Jesus is talking about a worldwide faith in God. And then we look now, we have the advantage of 2,000 years later, and we look back and it, it's happened. I mean, Christianity is by far the most widely ethnic movement than anything else in history. And that is, in some sense, an evidence that when God was giving this bigger story 3,000 years ago in Psalms like Psalm 98, well beyond, far beyond what the author could have possibly imagined, God was giving us a glimpse of the future and something only God could do. It gives me faith. I don't think I'm being very articulate, but it gives me faith that the Bible really has always been giving us this bigger story of what God is doing. If that came true, if something so inconceivable 3,000 years ago actually has come true in the global sense of the faith, then I think also the rest of it's going to come true. And it really does give me faith that I want to be in this story. I don't want to get hijacked by all the other stories that are screaming at me and all the other forms of social media, everybody else's view of life, everybody else's cause, everybody else's new idea that's not new at all. I don't want to get sucked into these dead-end stories and miss this bigger story that has been foreshadowed, even hinted to, but also blatantly said 
in God's Word in the Bible as early as 3,000 years ago. I want to look at those elements here in Psalm 98, because when you look at just these verses here, it's giving us a glimpse of this. So let me read it again, verse 1. Oh, sing to Yahweh, sing to the I Am, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. Now, I think the author of this psalm is talking about the Exodus But I also imagine this psalm as being something true when the king comes and restores the earth by restoration and resurrection. When that happens, I think this psalm is written from that point of view as if it's talking about the future in a past tense kind of way. The Bible does that a lot. And I think this psalm is doing that. It's talking about the future when the king comes and establishes his kingdom and there is a restoration that it takes place in all creation. There's a resurrection that takes place for God's people. And it's talking about that future event in the past tense. So think of it that way. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm. Now, remember, we looked at verses that talk about Christ being at his right hand. And so Christ has worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. This is a global scope. So verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. The New Testament says the house of Israel is ultimately all of God's people. When believers become believers in Christ, we are added to the house of Israel. Ultimately, the house of Israel is the church, the body of Christ, the new humanity in the kingdom of God. So when you read verses about the house of Israel and the promises of God to Israel, they're actually promises of God to you. And you are in that promise. You are in that new humanity if you're a follower of Christ. So the last part of verse 3, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. There's that global aspect. All the ends of the earth, everywhere on the earth, have seen the salvation of our God. That's something that will can only be said when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. This is just imagine this. Use your imagination to think of that day When Christ returns and brings resurrection and brings restoration and all creation explodes with this restoration of being restored to everything that was lost when humanity failed to fulfill God's command and the garden didn't get to spread throughout the earth. And now the garden has spread throughout the earth because Christ, the true human, has done it. He has brought God's salvation. He has brought this bringing the exercise of ruling and exercising dominion over the earth as human beings created in God's image. He has brought that back to the earth and creation is rejoicing. All the earth is rejoicing. Imagine this scene. Sing praises to Yahweh with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. The lyre was like a harp. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. 
This is interesting because this is a verse right here that's saying the king, this king that has come is Yahweh himself. It's all capital L-O-R-D. This king is the Christ. If you looked at the earliest Greek translation of the Old Testament that was done at about 200 B.C., the word that is used here for the king is Christ. That's why he's called the Christ in the New Testament. He is the king. He's the king, and here it's saying it's Yahweh himself who is the king. Again, this is an amazing thing for me. Something a thousand years or at least centuries before the birth of Jesus that is being plainly said that this king that comes is Yahweh himself. You can see the seeds of the gospel sown in these Old Testament psalms, psalms that Jesus himself read, psalms that the apostles read. And so verse 7 again, is describing this renewed, restored world when the king comes, when Yahweh himself in this human king comes to restore the world. Here's the description. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. This is the scope of this restoration and salvation. Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before Yahweh, before the Lord, for he comes Now, here's the thing about this is, again, it's just giving us this description of this renewed creation, this creation that's been restored, that is rejoicing and clapping its hands, the the hills singing for joy, the trees themselves we saw. If you look back at Psalm 96, we're in Psalm 98 here, but if we just go back two Psalms, we saw that same phrase in verse 11, it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He's going to, in other words, he's going to bring salvation and a foreverness to this world. He's not going to do away with the world. So verse 11, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before Yahweh for he comes. It's the exact same thing we're we're reading here, the same idea we're reading here in verse 98, this bigger story of a restored creation. This is what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he's talking about God's glory in us, this glory in us in our resurrection Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, this resurrection of the children of God to be revealed, the glory in us to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself, now catch this, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's what Paul's talking about. This day when the king comes and the people of God, the children of God will be raised in glory and the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So what we're reading here in Psalm 96 and Psalm 98 about creation itself clapping, the rivers clapping their hands, the hills singing for joy, the trees singing 
for the Lord comes. This is more than just poetry. It is poetry, and it is imagination, but it is something that is going to happen. I like what Tim Keller says about this. He says, if rivers and mountains will be like this when he returns, what will we be like? The rivers clapping their hands, the hills singing for joy. What will we be like? This jubilation, this glorious joy of praising God. The Apostle John writes in his epistle toward the end of the New Testament in what we call 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now listen to this. Verse 2, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, when the king appears, that's that same word Christ translated that translates this word king in the psalm we're reading right now. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's just something about, I don't quite ever understand that last phrase, for we shall see him as he is. But there is something to the fact that when we have this resurrection and we see God in all his glory, that we will have this glory restored to us, this joy, this righteousness, not only because we'll be raised in sinless, righteous, glorious bodies, but there'll be this experience of God himself that just infuses our life, empowers our life, fills our life, floods our life with this sense of glory and seeing God as he truly is. And so I like this verse three. I'm just going to read it. All who have this hope in him purify themselves. So there's a sense in which when we put ourselves in this larger story, in this bigger story. It does motivate me, at least, to want to live a righteous life now, a holy life now, a pure life now, because I see this story as the story of glory and joy and freedom and gladness. And as this psalm says in verse 3, that glorying in God's steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. That's you and that's me if we're followers of the Christ, of the King, who comes as Yahweh, he is Yahweh, to establish God's glory upon the earth. This is the bigger story my life is in and your life is in. And, you know, both of these Psalms, Psalm 98, we looked at a couple or last week, a couple episodes ago. It says, I'm going to read verses 8 and 9 again. These are the last verses. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together for Yahweh, for the Lord. He comes, and it goes on, to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is always part of this bigger story. Psalm 96 ends the exact same way. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So here it says in his faithfulness in Psalm 98, he will judge the peoples with equity. It's the same idea that it will be true, faithful, non-partiality. God's salvation is his righteousness and his justice. 
These are the last verses because removing evil from the world is part of what the king does when he comes. He brings righteousness. He removes evil from the world. And because the king is Christ, who has given us his righteousness and taken his our sin upon himself in his body on the cross, that's not really the gospel. That's just the means to the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Christ is king and he comes and he brings God's righteousness and he removes evil from the world. And the trick is when he removes evil from the world, how does he do that without removing us from the world? And that's where forgiveness of sins and amnesty and this resurrection is the means of the gospel, the means of being able to be in this kingdom of light and steadfast love and faithfulness, and righteousness, and without sin, without crying, without pain, without any kind of suffering and death, because he has wiped evil from the face of the earth. And so we pray, oh God, the I am, I want to be in this story. I pray that you would preserve me, that I could be in this story, that you would preserve my faith and you would preserve my faithfulness so that I too can sing for joy on this day. I want to be in this story and sing to your glory, to sing praises to you for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness and for your righteousness. I pray that you would continue to protect my faith and give me faith and keep me in this story because you have worked salvation, this restoration, this renewal, resurrection, forgiveness of sins, and glory restored to my life restored to this world, you have made known your salvation and you have revealed your righteousness and you have remembered your steadfast love and faithfulness. Right now, I trust in your steadfast love and faithfulness toward me, your salvation in my life. I want to be part of the house of Israel, this new humanity in the kingdom of God, this body of Christ that I'm in now, this bride that rejoices at the coming of the groom at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21. I want to be part of that bride. I want to be part of the house of Israel. I want to be part of this salvation. I want to sing a new song and rejoice in your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I want to trust in your steadfast love. I want to trust in your faithfulness. I want to be there when the entire ends of the earth are rejoicing because they have seen the salvation of our God, the forever God who is our God forever, the God who has com- you have committed yourself to me. You have committed your protection to me. You have committed your salvation to me. You have committed to me your light and your steadfast love and your goodness and your righteousness. I don't deserve it. You are a God of grace and mercy, and I need your grace and mercy in my life through Christ. But I sing praises to you. I rejoice in this promise of this bigger story, this amazing bigger story of your salvation through the King, you becoming King through Jesus, you becoming the perfect human through Jesus, and bringing salvation back to this earth that you created for human beings that you created in your image to rule over and to reflect your glory and to live in your love and to continue your work of creation. And I want to be in that story. 
to be truly human, restored by Jesus Christ to true humanity. The sea will roar and everything in it that fills it. The world and all those who dwell in it will rejoice. The rivers will clap their hands. The hills will sing for joy together. And I want to be a part of all that, this rejoicing, this real joy, this joy that Jesus came to bring, that my joy would be made full being a part of this house of Israel, this new humanity, this new creation. And I have this hope. I don't. I know now I'm a child of God, but I don't know what I will be. But I do know that whatever it is, however it is, it will be beyond imagination now. And I have this hope of being restored to this glory you intended for me. And in that hope, I want to make and keep myself pure and devoted to Christ as my King, devoted to Jesus as my salvation. And I pray that you would strengthen me, that I would persevere in this faith, that I would grow in my faithfulness to you, and even now rejoicing in your steadfast love, even now rejoicing in your faithfulness and rejoicing in your righteousness and rejoicing in your salvation. This is the story my life is in, and I want to live in this story and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.